We're starting a new sermon series in October. Um, <clears throat> uh, the sermon series is called Scream. I think we might have a graphic for it as well. <clears throat> and we're going to be talking about fear. Uh, we're going to be talking about fear in many different areas because we know that fear has fear is in our churches. And fear is in our churches because fear is in us. So if you have your copy of, your, of the Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I hope that you remember the time that Jesus called you. We talk about God being the source of everything. I hope you remember the time that God calls you because when Jesus Christ called your name, when he came and everything in the scripture suddenly made sense to you, it wasn't merely that he was calling you out of something. It wasn't just that he was calling you to, as Jesus says at times in the scriptures, to leave your sin but he's calling us into something. It is really good to be in the assembly of God's church. Really, really good. I wonder sometimes, because I remember the day that I trusted in Jesus, and, and we spoke about that last Lord's Day. I should probably introduce myself. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, my name is Ben Bacon. I'm one of the pastor elders here. Um, thrilled to be able to present the word of God to you this morning. I think about the day that Jesus came for me. I was 16 years old, and I'd heard the Bible my entire life. Some of you know this story from a few weeks ago. I'd heard the scriptures. I'd heard that Jesus Christ came, and he died for me, and he rose again on the third day. I'd heard it many, many times, but there was one day in particular where God came down and the scriptures say that he opened my eyes. And suddenly I knew it. And suddenly I saw it. I remember what it felt like. Sometimes I find myself wondering what he actually sounds like in person. You guys ever wonder that? There are moments in my life and moments in your life where God comes in, and it's almost like he's just right next to you, isn't it? You ever had an experience like that where God's nearness, God's closeness is so, it's almost like he's right next to you. In the passage that we're talking about today in Matthew chapter 10, we're going to be talking about men who saw Jesus. First John says that when he gave a testimony, he gave a testimony about what his ears had heard. I wonder what Jesus sounds like. He talks about what his eyes had seen. I have, try as I can, I can't get a mental picture of Jesus. I can't get it. I wonder what he looks like. John says that we touched him. I'm telling you about what I heard, what I saw, and what I touched. I wonder what it feels like. I wonder what he feels like. I'm, <laughs> I confess I'm going to be a bit overwhelmed this morning. Because he's been there for every moment of my life. I've never seen him. 
but he called me. He called me, and that's why I'm here. I placed my faith in him. He forgave my sins. He gave me the Holy Spirit, and now I'm here, and now you're here too. And many of you called out just like me. If you've trusted in Jesus, if your faith is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then you know we have a common ground. We have something that we have in common because Jesus hasn't just been here every day for me. Jesus hasn't just called me. He's also called you. You've heard his voice in that strange sense in which you don't hear anything at all. We're going to open up the scriptures. We're going to open up the scriptures and we're going to talk about being unafraid. Because it's not just that God has called you out of something. Jesus hasn't just called you out of sin. He's calling you into something. He's calling you into what we call the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. It's a real fancy word. We probably shouldn't even use the word church anymore, right? Because people think about buildings. It's the ecclesia. So mind you, when you came in, you did not come to church. If you are a Christian, you gathered with the rest of the church. We are the church gathered. And as we gather, incredible things happen. Let's open up the word. We're going to be in Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. Because in October, we need to become unafraid. I don't know about you. I live with a lot of different kinds of fear. But I don't want to anymore. The scriptures say that perfect love casts out fear. How do we do that? See, God's calling us on mission. God's calling you on mission today, right now. Matthew chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 24. Jesus is calling his disciples, his first disciples, and this is the first time in Matthew that we get a record of all 12 of the disciples' names. And God, and he puts them all in there, and then he's going to send them out. He's going to do some teaching. He's going to give them power to do certain signs certain signs to Israel that, hey, I'm the Messiah, I've arrived, I'm here. And he's giving them instructions. He tells them that he's going to send them out like sheep in the midst of wolves. I was at the Holy Fair, I've seen sheep. I would not send one into the midst of wolves by itself. Verse 24, Jesus starts off with this incredible, incredible statement. First instructions, you would think that Jesus was spent a lot of time, maybe years, training. Maybe we just take a few years. Maybe, maybe he takes them to seminary for a few years till they learn enough. Here's what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they indulge, or how will they malign? sorry, those of his household? I want to live unafraid on mission for Jesus. And when Jesus calls us, there's something that he's going to say. There's something he wants to say to you, and it's something that he said to his disciples. See, if we're going to be unafraid like Jesus, the first thing we need to do is we need to accept the call 
You need to accept your calling. You know what's fascinating about what Jesus says? It is so practical, and it's really hard for me to get to. Here's what he says. A disciple is not above his teacher. You ever met an apprentice or an employee who thought they were above a master at the craft? Have you ever met a servant? Most of us not met servants. Maybe employees, an employee who thought they were above an employer. See, Jesus is saying something that we all know, right? Throw up the next. This is a great sign that we have on here. We use it in math, right? He's not, it means not greater than, for those of you, right? You have the nice little greater, and then the X means not, okay? All right, everybody's catching up. Okay, it's math. We got to talk about this, okay? See, because if you're going to be on mission for Jesus, if you're going to be on mission and unafraid, the first thing that you need to know is that you are not greater than Jesus. Here's what the scriptures say. Look at verse, last part of verse 25. See, because there's a point. We're not greater. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. Some people get into really, really complex forms of the Greek. Let's stick with like. Like means exactly what it means in English, okay? It means similar. It's a comparative statement. See, we've gotten so skilled at avoiding the suffering that comes with being like Jesus, haven't we? See, one of the marks that you know when the more that God brings you along, he brings you, you're going to be like Jesus here and here, and then I'm going to bring you along by my spirit here and here. And the closer that you get, the more people can say, you know, that guy's kind of like Jesus. The more that your life will look like Jesus's. Can I give you some descriptors of the life of Jesus? There was betrayal, poverty, lots and lots of slander. People spoke out about him. They taught against him. They threatened him. And then they killed him. And I'm greatly concerned, not just for our own local congregation, but for the rest of the church in Reading, that we have so lost our distinctiveness that should you walk into our midst, that we are not like Jesus to the point that he talks about in this scripture. See, because he finishes verse 25 saying, you know, if they call the master of the house Beelzebul, I mean, Beelzebul, okay? <laughs> They're calling him a lord of demons. A lord of demons. That's what you want people to say about you, right? Every Christian wants that. I really hope that they attribute to what's going on in my life to demon worship. That's great. They said it about Jesus. Uh, nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 34, Jesus drives out an evil spirit who was oppressing and possessing someone. And the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people came by and they said, he's casting out the demons because he's the prince. So the demons have to say whatever he has to say. And Jesus comes along after he appoints his 12 and he says, you need to know this statement about your life. You're not greater than me. 
So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you will not be greater than Jesus, your teacher. And if you are a servant of Jesus, you will not be greater than the master. And by the way, if they called the master a prince of demons, they have how much more will they malign? You know, it's not even in there. It's not even in the text. Really what the Greek says is if they call him Beelzebul, how much more those of his household? If the people in the culture around Reading, if they call Jesus demon-possessed, because when you hear Jesus for real, there's something very, very powerful. What will they say about the church? This is your calling. Not, my, not just my calling, but your calling. See, because the church is not something out there, if you trust in Jesus, the church is here. The church is us, gathered together, called out together. Jesus says, you're not greater than I am. And if they said this about me, how much more about you? See, we have to start by accepting our calling. That's hard. Acceptance is hard. Next, we need to do, I'm going to throw up a scripture up there. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. Why do they call us these names? Why will they treat us perhaps even more poorly than they did Jesus? Here is what Paul wrote. He said, but thank God. He has made us, the church, captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Jesus is king and he is victorious. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to tell people about Jesus. We're going to tell people what's going on. And it goes everywhere like a sweet perfume, right? And it's not like those really terrible candle stores that just you don't know what you're smelling. There's something particular about the smell of the gospel or the smell of the knowledge of Jesus. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved along with us, people who are being called out. Maybe they're not Christians yet, but they live in your world and they keep on coming closer because you smell like Jesus perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. These are people who are not being drawn. Next slide. To those who are perishing, they have hard hearts, and they, we have those people in our lives too. They're not searching for God. They may be angry at God. We don't believe God exists. There's only this life. To those who are perishing, they're dying. We are a dreadful smell of death and doom. See, you're going to stink to some people when you're on mission. You will smell. It's a great illustration because anybody ever had like a really bad smell? Like we're not talking like burnt popcorn smell. It's like 95 degrees on the highway and roadkill smell, right? That's you. To those who are being saved, you smell like you smell like freedom because you've been with Jesus. 
And to those who are perishing, their hearts are hard. They're far from God. They're not interested in God. The closer they get to you, their noses wrinkle. And there's this emotional reaction that comes with our smells that I don't want you. You're evil. You're doing something wrong, right? But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. <sighs> Who's adequate for such a task as this? You see, we're not like the many hucksters who preach the gospel for personal profit. We're not getting paid. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. He who calls us is watching. We're going to accept our calling. The next thing that we're going to do, verse 26, we're going to act in faith. Verse 26, so have no fear of them. Here's our theme, fear. The word fear is the Greek word phobeo, 62 times in the New Testament. Oftentimes, phobeo, it's its verb form. Can I talk to you about fear? You know fear. It's the emotion that comes to you, and it may come for some reasons that are really rational. They make a whole lot of sense, and some feelings of fear that are irrational, Anybody ever experienced some phobeo when God starts bringing along someone and you know that you, it's time to testify for Jesus, it's time to, it's time to say something about Jesus, it's, someone's got something going on, you, you know the Holy Spirit's saying, you need to pray for them, you need to speak to them, you need to say, the hope that I have is Jesus, let me share him with you. Are you interested in all that fragrance that's supposed to come out? Do you experience that same thing? Because I do. Oh, it is fear. Jesus says, when you go out on mission, disciples, when you go out on mission, have no fear. See, I have struggled with that, okay? Because fear is sometimes even like an automatic response, and I'm asking the Lord, Lord, what I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid here, so how am I supposed to not be afraid? How am I supposed to not be afraid? And he reminded me, fear in this text is a verb. You know, fear is like love in this context. When we talk about love, we talk about love as a verb. That means love does something. On the other hand, fear, when fear is used as a verb, we're talking about fear, which does something. Fear can motivate us to do certain things. It can also cause us to draw back from things. See, you and I are on mission. And some of you, like me, when we go out, God, we're experiencing fear, but not the good kind of fear. We're experiencing fear of those who we are sent to, and it's causing us to draw back, to not speak the word of God, to not say, listen, Jesus has all the answers. Jesus can forgive this. Jesus can help. It causes us to draw back, doesn't it? We are the church on mission. And the first thing, if we're going to be afraid, unafraid like Jesus, we have to accept the calling. Know that you're not greater than Jesus. The second thing that we have to do is act in faith because you cannot act in faith and act in fear at the same time. You can be afraid and act in faith. You ever done that? Some of you, it may be the first time coming up here. God wants you to act in faith. Say, God, but I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I have fear, and it's coming into me, and it's a deep kind of fear that I've just, 
I, I'm afraid of what they're going to say to me. I'm going to lose relationships. I'm going to lose people. There are people in my life. I have, I have family members. I have friends. I have people I've built this kind of relationship with. And, and God, you know that they've been my friends for years. And God, you know this about them. And they're not really interested in you. And so I got to draw back because, God, I'm afraid. And God is saying, no, you're mine. You're on mission. You need to act in faith. Acting in faith means that we go out and we speak even when we feel fear. It's action that's not motivated by fear because fear will cause you to draw back. And it has caused us to draw back almost exclusively. Many church growth has been attained simply by a new church coming to the area and Christians leaving their existing churches and going to another. We're by and large not on mission. One of our pillars, you want to throw up a little photo of the pillar, one of our pillars that we talk about is unafraid witness, right? That means that we will proclaim it boldly without fear. We'll proclaim the truth about Jesus without fear. And Jesus is going to have some very interesting words for us. Are you ready to hear? Are you ready to hear? Church. Ooh, we're getting some phobeto in the audience here. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Can I tell you that it is hard to be right and for it not to be immediately apparent to everybody that you are and what you're doing is telling the truth. There are some things that will not be revealed until the day that we see Jesus' face. Faith is a bit tricky that way because God has to open up eyes. And when you're telling someone else the truth about Jesus, sometimes they may say, well, if that works for you, that works for you. Reality works for everybody. And there's a truth that's coming because one day we will see him face to face. See, God will cause it to come about. Peter, when he wrote his second letter, he said something like, you know, when you go out and you witness, tell me if this sounds familiar, you're going to have people who say, listen, tell me about Jesus because ever since we can remember with our parents and our grandparents, the earth has just kind of continued as it is. Don't talk to me about judgment. Don't talk to me about Jesus coming back because it kind of looks like everything's going in cycle. So I have no reason to think that things aren't going to change. And Peter says, you need to know something. You need to know that they're deliberately overlooking the fact that there is a first time and there is a first cause. The heavens were made at a very particular time. God sent the flood to the earth as a judgment at a particular time. And there awaits a time when Jesus comes back and everyone in every nation answers to him. Jesus says, don't worry because whatever's hidden, it's gonna be revealed. It's only a matter of time. There's not only the manifestation of the truth though, there's also the power of the father. 
What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. When Jesus speaks to you through the word of God, it's not just for you. It's so that you can hear the word of God and by the Holy Spirit go and offer it out to someone else. We're on mission. We have a calling. Verse 28, and do not fear the Baal, those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's a lot of strong words. I feel like I'm constantly telling you guys strong words. You're going to get used to it after a bit. The power of the Father Sometimes the people in your life who you fear, the people who God has put in your life who you fear to tell the truth, we need to ask ourselves a very pointed question. Are we more afraid? Do we phobeo the person who sits next to us more than God who is in heaven? He is a God not only of the visible but the invisible. And who cares? What can man do to us? Kill us? They killed Jesus didn't work. That's why Jesus said, if there's anybody who loses his life for my sake, I will raise him up on the last day. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Any of you guys do the dollar store? Where are my dollar store people? Dollar store? Yeah, dollar store. Yeah, you can get a lot of good stuff at the dollar store, right? Let me give you, we don't, we don't buy sparrows for the most part, you know? If you're a bird person, you, you still don't have sparrows, right? They're common, right? They are the dry erase marker at the dollar store, okay? They are inexpensive, they are cheap, you don't, you could go and you could buy the year's supply and you know what, as human beings, if we lose one, who cares? I got it for, it was like 10 cents. I got a pack of 10 for a buck or something like that. You know, they don't have much ink, but they still work. So here's what Jesus is saying. You know, the sparrows, they are basically worthless as far as money goes. Basically worthless. Do you know what the heart of the father is? Not one of them drops. See me, I buy, I buy dry erase markers and I'm just like, eh. I lose something from the dollar store, I guess I'll spend another 50 cents and get five, you know? It doesn't matter to me. See, because those things don't matter to me. They're cheap. They're expendable. They're inexpensive. And some of you, when I said, listen, you need to fear God more than you fear people. You start getting the fear, but it's not the good kind of fear. You're like, oh man, God's going to discard me. He has millions of people. God will get rid of me. I'm expendable. I'm only one among millions and billions of people. And Jesus says, you need to hear me that not a single sparrow, not a single dry erase marker worth, not a single one goes anywhere or does anything apart from God knowing. See, God's better than I am. He's more powerful and he has a heart that is more compassionate and merciful than mine and yours too. That's not the end of the hard words, see? He says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. 
some of you, that's not that difficult. Um, you know, mine's still pretty on there, but we'll see. Now that I've said that, the Lord may choose to humble me. You need to not be afraid. Verse 31, fear not. Fear God who can destroy body and soul in hell, but fear not. Why? Because you're worth more than a lot of markers from the dollar store. You're worth a lot more. The Bible calls the church God's prized possession. Jesus' bride, the thing that he is intent on building and making more and more beautiful for the one day when finally we see his face. There's a last part of this, verse 31. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father. See, there's a declaration of the Son. Jesus says, you tell others that you belong to me. You tell others about me. You tell others... I'll acknowledge you before God the Father. This one's mine. And then the hard words. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before the Father who is in heaven. I've been wondering this week, what's God going to have to say about me one day? What will God have to say about you? I confess that this call, this speaking to other people about Jesus, this is the hardest part for me. Not the preaching part, but speaking, speaking to others. When I know that they need to be heard and when I believe my message will not be received. But hear me, because if you speak, if you speak, you act out in faith, even when you're afraid, even when the fear is rising. Jesus says, I will acknowledge you before my Father. This is mine. This one's mine. It's evidence of our genuineness. We've got to accept our calling. We should act out in faith. Verse 34, we want to embrace our suffering Verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a what, church? Sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That last one's not too hard. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus does not come to your life because he wants to bring you peace. When Jesus comes, he says, I bring the sword. Now, we don't use swords very often. This one was a gift 
But when Jesus comes into your life, and some of you know this, maybe you're the first Christian in your family. Maybe you have a lot of unbelievers surrounding you. Jesus comes and he says, I bring the sword. Do you know what the sword is? The sword is conflict and war. And maybe you've been sold early on in your Christianity. They said, come to Christ. Things will be great. Jesus will do great things. And he does. He forgives us our sins. We have a home in heaven. He sets us on mission. He brings us brothers and sisters to build up our faith. He gives us the Holy Spirit to express in power. But he says, as well, I bring the sword. And let me tell you that Jesus is the dividing line between you and between those who are closest to you. Jesus is that dividing line. Look at the kinds of relationships that he talks about. Sons, fathers, mothers, daughters, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. You can put whatever you want in there. Jesus says, I came and I did not come to bring peace, but the sword. And so if you are experiencing conflict in your life, if you're saying, you know, I've been following Jesus and ever since I've been following Jesus, I'm feeling the strain because there's people in my life, they haven't trusted in Jesus. God hasn't drawn them. Honestly, I kind of stink to them right now. It's okay because you, as long as you stand with Jesus, there's going to be a dividing line here because we as the church stand with Jesus. He is our captain. And then he makes this statement. Take your eyes to the text. I want you to see it. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You know, that word love, I thought at first it might be agape. Like, oh, like you're supposed to like love the Lord your God more than others. No, it's philon. It's a word for affection. See, God will not be second in affection to anyone. Not to your father, not to your mother, not to your son or daughter. Jesus will not take second. See, he's... He, needs, he wants to be first in your affections. And you will have to choose. If you haven't chosen yet, you will have to choose because there is a dividing line. Will you stand with Jesus in the calling? He wants to be first in your affections. Are you passionate about Jesus? I love seeing the church come together and the church gathered worshiping Jesus. I love seeing it. It's great. So we should be giving all of our passion and all of our hype and everything that we have to him. Not just first in our affections, but first in our commitment. See, embrace it. Suffering's coming. You stand with Jesus. Embrace it. Embrace it as a good friend because if you suffer for doing good, well, then you look a lot like Jesus, don't you? We need to accept our calling, right? We need to act in faith by speaking out about Jesus. We need to embrace our suffering because it's coming. And last thing, we want to press on for the reward. Verse 40 through 42. 
Whoever receives you, talking to the disciples, receives me. You go out and you receive and you invite somebody into your home, someone who's on mission for Jesus, someone who loves Jesus. Do you know that you're, it's Jesus. Jesus says, it's me. And whoever receives me, you receive Jesus, receives him who sent me. That's God the Father. And the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. We share. We share in the reward. And he who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, still talking about disciples, even a cup of cold water. It's my deer park. I was very glad because I was very thirsty when I got up here. Um, but someone put this here for me. Do you know that the person who put this for me, God remembers that. See, that's small. See, when we come to God, you have to know you're going to suffer. You're going to go outside. God's going to be the dividing line. The sword will be brought into your life, but there's a reward at the end. And everything that we have lost everything that we have given, everything we have sacrificed, saying we will stand with Jesus. Everything. Everything is seen by God. If anyone gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Do you know that God's a rewarder? Sometimes we miss this. We don't talk about it in churches very much, but let me, let me go ahead and help you out. God rewards. You mean I have to earn stuff with God? No. But God rewards. See, when we come to God, the book of Hebrews says that you have to believe that God exists and that he rewards us when we seek him. Church, there's something that you need to know. In all this stuff, it's been hard. But you know something crazy about all this? It always drives us crazy, I think, as Christians when somebody asks you to do something they're not willing to do themselves. But let me tell you, church, God has gone on before us. Jesus has gone on before us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, talks about men and women of faith. And they, some of them, some of them experienced great blessings. And then there were others who they lived their lives destitute. They didn't have anything. They lived their lives hungry. They lived their lives slandered by those who were around them. And they didn't get to see the final salvation of the Lord until they crossed that line into eternity. And then the scriptures say in 12 verse 2 that when you run, and we're going to run the next few months, we're going to run hard. And you're going to be tired. And that's a good thing because you need the Holy Spirit then. We're going to run real hard. But as we run, we keep our eyes 
on Jesus. And the scriptures say that when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we need to remember that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured what? Endured the cross and its shame. And guess what happened next? He was raised again, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. You stand for a moment. I'd like to do something to close out our service. It might be something that is a little different. Do you mind putting up the last slide on here after Hebrews 12? I'm going to read something. And those of you who are a part of the church, I want you to be thinking, because we're going to declare together that it's enough. See, you're called out and you're on mission like me. We're here together. Hear this. I'll point to you. I'll point to the whole congregation. And if you feel comfortable, we're going to declare together that it is enough. Even if our whole lives we are mistreated because we're like Jesus, it is enough. Even if the message that we bring smells like death to the people who we truly love, it is enough. Even if my testimony creates war and conflict in my family, it is enough. If Jesus alone is my first affection and then I don't see any good until I see his face who called me out of darkness and forgave my sin, it is enough. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that it is enough. It's enough that we are like you. We worship you. We lift up your name because you are a great king. Will you be exalted above the heavens? and in our praises.